Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I am your guest, Matt Prater. And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 193. Matt Prater started out as a radio chemist making diagnostic positron emission tomography agents for 15 years. He had a stroke, then went to teach chemistry and research classes in public schools for five years. Matt then worked at Amex for six months. He is now teaching at the University of Advanced Technology in Tempe, Arizona, as a professor of robotics and embedded systems. So, Matt, thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So before we uh, before we started the podcast, uh, Parker and I didn't actually know this, but uh, you've played around with antimatter before, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I started out of out of college, out of grad school, um, and uh, basically they had a a new series of agents called PET, positron emission tomography. And what they are is they're radioactive materials that that are that are. Uh, 511 KeV, so they're they're relatively high energy for the diagnostic range, and basically you can take these agents and inject them in a person with with whatever chemical substrate you want to attach them to, and, and they, they get superpowers. Yeah, well, close. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they don't get superpowers, but they um, but they do get stopped in the uh, Lincoln Tunnel when they don't have their letter with them. Um, we had one <laughs> well, one person who was traveling um, to New York City or no, from, from Manhattan to Jersey. And she got stopped in the tunnel because she had the drugs traveling through her system and they caught it on the sensor outside the car um, to, to, to uh, look, to look for dirty bombs and stuff. But, but, but she was just injected with, with Wait, one of our drugs. They've got antimatter detectors. There. Well, it's not antimatter, it's radiation. <laughs> what happens is, is we make a, a isotope called fluorine 18. It's, it's a, uh, we we make it actually we start with oxygen a eighteen as a as a a, a, a mass of a, a mass of eighteen and basically we hit it with a proton we create a proton beam in a cyclotron it's in a large large thing where where we spin we spin um we we spin the proton around well actually it's a um it, it's a hydride it's it's a it's a um, it has the one proton and the two electrons and we spin it around and then we strip the two electrons away when it gets to a sufficient speed and we bombard it into this oxygen 18 and that produces fluorine 18, which is radioactive. What it does is this fluorine 18, it's, it's not real happy being a fluorine 18. So it gives off a positron, which is a the same thing as an electron, but it's antimatter. So it has a positive charge instead of a negative charge. And that and that positron finds the nearest electron. So wherever there's an electron, it finds it immediately and it it, it, it annihilates. They, they they destroy each other in a um, in an antimatter matter collision and basically they turn straight from matter to energy and they turn into two five eleven KeV a gamma radiation photons. So they turn from matter, from a positron and an electron into the same thing, but as energy um, as, uh, as photons, as, as gamma, gamma radiation. 
So we so we made the we would make the the the, the material the F eighteen, and then for the first um, first seven years or six years we would take that that and and we'd attach it to a sugar to a glucose molecule, and then you'd inject it in a patient. And the glucose, what happens is cancer likes to do two things. It likes to eat and it likes to make babies. And, and, that, and that's all cancer does. So, so, so when you have a liver cell that turns cancerous, it stops being a liver cell and instead it decides to eat and make babies and that's all it does. And then it makes more cancer cells. So what, what the FDG, this glucose attached to fluorine does, is it sticks to the cancer. The cancer takes it in, but it can't eat it. And then you put the person in the scanner and all the cancer lights up because it's all radioactive. I, I did that for seven years or for six years. And then I moved to special projects. Um, I did a, a F-MISO, which is a hypoxic in indicator. Uh, the uh, Nobel Prize two days ago was um, was 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 awarded to three gentlemen that studied hypoxic cancer. And basically I, I worked on later on, we had some studies here in the US where we looked at, at, at an indicator of a, a um, fluorine based in the indicator for hypoxia for low oxygen level cancer. So we did, I did that for a while. I worked on the Alzheimer's indicator flu beta bin, which was Bayer's product. And I worked on that for a while. And then I, then I had my stroke. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, you know, and, and what's funny is uh, initially when we had talked about having you on to the podcast, um, none of those topics were even sp <laughs> yeah. spoken about. Yeah. That's why, that's why I was like, wait, 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 we have to start with all of this. This is yes. good stuff here. Exactly. So, so I, so I had my stroke and, um, and, and it was a big one. It, it, it took away the, uh, the use of my right hand and I, and I walk with a limp. So, so I, so I don't walk great and I can't run, but, but that's cool. Cause, cause I'm still living and that's the important thing. Um, uh, when I did that, you know, I, 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 I was out for about five months and then I went back to work at Cardinal at Cardinal Health where I was making the, the positron emission tomography agents. And I did that for another three years. But when they decided to close down, um, my wife, uh, who, who had gone through the stroke with me, um, and, uh, she, she had said that one of the doctors told her it wasn't a matter of if I was having another stroke, it was when. So she saw this as an opportunity for me to get out of the pharmaceutical industry because I was traveling all over the place. When I the, the month I had the stroke uh, that year, I had I had put in like two hundred and sixty thousand miles on uh, Delta, and uh, and I was platinum, and you know we had done all the travel and stuff, but I was never home. So I had the stroke, and then I was home. You know, I was I was sticking home. So when they closed up the uh, the the, the R and D here in Phoenix, you know, I uh, my my wife kind of said, "You got to find another job that isn't so stressful." So I so I decided to try teaching or go into teaching. Um, and I cool. taught I, I taught in the public schools at, at Highland High School for five years. I taught chemistry because chemistry is, is what I did for forever. And then I also taught a, a class on research um, for a couple of years. And the research, we had independent research projects. It was a small class, 10 students. We got into groups of two. And basically, they would investigate. They, they do science 
projects or, or innovative engineering projects. And it was actually at Cardinal that I got the bug um, with, with Arduinos and stuff and also working with radioactive drugs. You can't actually do the chemistry to make them. You have to have robots do it for you. So, so I started programming when I was doing the chemistry stuff with, with the nuclear agents. And then after, after that, when I moved to the public schools, I got more involved in, uh, in, the, uh, in, in the microprocessors and things like that. And then, uh, and, and then I got my master's in software engineering, and, and here I am. So I got a quick question on that is, okay. so you, you started doing programming on robotics that were mixing all the, the, all the chemistry yes. for you because of radioactive uh, material. What kind of programming language is that in? Well, it was, I didn't actually do the, the raw programming. I, I did more of the applied stuff. So I worked within the, w within the systems. Um, but, but it was actually, um, it was a lot of DOS based stuff. We didn't have any Windows stuff. We had all DOS stuff that, that, that we did. So, um, and actually it was more like terminal programs where it ran, on um, on small um, what are what are they called the um, PLCs? Okay. We had PLCs and and they ran on PLCs and and uh, and then the uh, and then we would read them on our uh, on our computer or whatever whatever monitor that that we had. Um, it wasn't just like mixing the chemicals. You had a lot of we we started moving into the concept of uh, conditions where where instead of it heating for a certain period of time it would heat till a certain temperature was reached so it wouldn't be a time it was a it was a conditional um, statement and for that we got much better yields as soon as we moved away from time and into looking at conditions then we got things much better um you know then the, the, then we started upping the yields and 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 having a good time because when you get good yields then you don't have to do the run you don't have to do as many runs and and people get their doses on time and people aren't upset or anything which is always good you don't want to make people mad no <laughs> <laughs> well uh uh let, let's move on to uh, a little bit of what you're doing now with uh, your work at uh, the university of advanced technology yes so so i'm i'm a i'm professor of robotics and embedded systems and um and basically um what, what what we do is is we have we have a lot of majors. Actually, UAT started as a CAD school back in the '80s. It was a CAD school, um, which is fantastic. In fact, I guess it was the Harvard of CAD in in the '80s. It was it was dedicated and great. And then I guess they moved into like like they had some game design people and they kind of moved into game design. And then in the '90s they decided to. Uh, to get to 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 move out into bachelors, associates, bachelors, and now we have associates. I don't even know if we have associates, but we have bachelors and masters degrees that, that, that we offer, and it's it's all technology based things and art. We have a we have we have art as well. Um, that's a, that's involved with the game with the gaming um, quite quite intimately. So it's 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 a nice setup. Um, 
I guess we're ranked, uh, I believe we're ranked in, in the top 10 or top 20 for game design schools, um, which is which is good, uh, or, or at least in the US. I think it's top, top 10 or top 20 in the US for game design. And it's fun, it's a small, it's a family atmosphere. We have about a thousand students. Uh, for, for, for myself, I teach um, three different computer or uh, uh, three different robotics classes. I do a, a robot navigation um, class for autonomous robots. I do a embedded systems class where we completely leave Arduino behind and we do we do Atmel Studio and we do um, we do uh, MP Lab. So we do PIC and AVR. And then I also do an introductory like electronics class, so a robotics that's electronics. And then I also teach uh, CSC 102, which is the, the introduction to programming class. Here at, here at UAT, everyone must take an English class and they must take a programming class. So this is the programming class that people start off with. What, what language do you all start them out at? Oh, it, it's JavaScript. So, okay. So we get them in JavaScript, you know, well, we do HTML, CSS to get them started. And then we do JavaScript and kind of kind of explore that language, get, get get some introductory stuff done. And then they can break off and do whatever they want later on. I'm curious why you don't start with C. Well, um, it well, like for, ro for robotics, C is great. But, you know, um, for general general understanding and, and keep in mind that we're not just doing robotic students, we're doing art majors and we're doing doing everything. And really, the, the web is so pervasive that 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 everyone knows the web, everyone deals with the web. And to get those people who are not used to programming kind of excited over saying, hey, I can create my own web page and do it from scratch, you know, instead of going on to. Weebly or something like that to, to fill it in instead to do it from scratch. They, they get pretty excited. Yeah. I imagine from that perspective is C would actually be not a very useful tool for mm -hmm. most of those people. Yeah. Um, especially going like a game development. Not a lot of game development is in C. Yeah. 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 You really need the game engines and things like that. A lot of the game development is done with the engines. You you know what's interesting though um, I've I've had the uh, the chance to interface with a with a handful of tech artists and um, processing is really a, a powerful tool to uh, the, you know the the coding uh, environment yeah. processing and that is uh, a mixture of Arduino style C yeah for 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 uh you know video and image processing and audio processing for for artists and uh, yeah. and so like i i totally agree i think i think java is probably a great place to start because it's you can jump in and do something right away yeah, uh, yeah. but processing is pretty powerful in the in the art oh absolutely and i and i try to steal as many as i can into into my robotics classes i say hey you know give it a shot you you've got it you've got to take your your, your non-major classes so you know give it a shot it's, it's pretty fun and that's and that i believe that's part of why they had me teach the csc 102 is so i can try to build our program you can you can basically tell them hey it's video games in real life Exactly. And I tell the video game people, I kind of make fun of them because for them, 
if if they don't like you know the 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 the, the gravity that they can just change it you know if if they don't <laughs> like the speed of light that they can change it you know for me i'm stuck with what nature gives me i can't i can't just make what i want to have happen i've got to work i've got to work with mother nature yeah, and uh, and taking damage and dying have different consequences. <laughs> exactly. right? that, is, that as well, absolutely. You can't just you can't you can't you can't just re- restart. Yeah, robots have fall damage, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and restoring the health bar is incredibly expensive. <laughs> it is, and, and sometimes it never completely comes back. So <laughs> right. Uh, cool. So, are you uh, are you doing any research yourself at the school? Well, um, I, I, I do have some side projects that I'm working on. Um, uh, specifically, I mean, the nice thing is, uh, is, is, uh, you know, I have my own test bed for stroke rehab and traumatic brain injury. I've got a, I've got a test bed right here with, with me. Um, so I can test things out. We actually filed a patent with, with my high school kids. I had a group of high school kids, two kids who were working on a project with me where we, where basically what happens is when you have a traumatic brain injury, uh, a lot of times you'll get spasticity. What spasticity is, is it's, is it's where the, um, you have different systems in your brain. Like you have the extension and you have retraction. You know, the, the, those are two things going on with your arm. Well, the extension is kind of on the surface of your brain. It's not very deep. The, the retention is very deep. So when you have damage, it's easy to damage the extension, but the retention is more difficult to damage. So what happens is when you start to recover, your, 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 your contraction comes back very easily, but your extension doesn't come back. Me, me with my right arm, I can't extend it by itself. I, I, I can retract, but I can't extend. So what happens is that's called spasticity. And people who have traumatic brain injury will, will have this spasticity where they can only contract. That, that's why like curling in the fetal position, that's, that's your contraction taking over. So you're getting into that, getting into that state. Your, your body wants to get into that state. Um, what, I, what, what you can do is you can actually uh, fatigue the, 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 the contraction so that, so that it stops contracting and then you can work with it a little bit. Um, so what I did is I worked with some students on, um, on creating a device to measure my, um, my, my spasticity and we can monitor it and we can watch it, watch it fatigue so we can watch it go away. By, by working out, by working with it. And, uh, and we filed a patent, just a provisional patent. We, we filed the patent with it. And then we tried to, I, I had a place to try to sell the patent, but they weren't super interested. So, so we got to file it. Um, the, the deal was we used, a, um, we used an Arduino with a Wi-Fi adapter and we, and we recorded the data on a Google Firebase. So, so we had some fun with it. Wow, that's that's pretty cool, especially for high school students. Yeah, yeah. So the um, robotics and embedded systems degree is that a kind of like a new degree or? Yeah, yeah, okay. it's kind of new. It's um, at, at UAT. We're real focused on this project-based learning, 
this this concept of of instead of having you like the labs, instead of writing out the lab and having them follow the instructions, instead we, we list deliverables and we list some beginning references for them to look at for the lab. And they really have to compose the lab themselves. And they have the whole internet to discover how, how to do it. It's kind of to get them ready for the working world where, where someone isn't gonna say, okay, you follow these instructions and you're good to go. That That's not what, what usually happens. You usually have to figure it out and try to figure it out without pestering, the, without pestering your boss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, so we, um, so, so it's very focused on this project-based learning um, in, in the classes, and then we also have things called SIPs. SIPs are student innovation projects, and basically, a student ha has to do a SIP to graduate, and he also has to do a, um, it's a, a um, performance studio. With, which is where you work in groups. A SIP is an individual project. Um, performance Studio is a is a group, a group work working together. Um, and and for the for the studio projects, those are every Friday. We, we don't even have classes on Fridays. Fridays are just for the studio projects. So so you, it's still a school day, and I still come in. But instead of doing doing my classes. Instead, we do a stand-up in the morning, and we do a stand-up when the, when they go home. So we we follow an agile scrum type type of scenario. I want that at work. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, on the, Friday, this, on this Friday, Friday awesome. you get to come in and just get to build stuff and work yeah, on stuff. Work on projects. <laughs> well, and, no, I, and I'm I mean, saying this sounds awesome because it sounds like you're preparing them for the real world. Yeah, I know it's crazy. I mean, and and really, to be honest with you, of you know, uh, of the classes I, I teach. Uh, two of them. Two of them are are both taught with, with Agile and Scrum in mind, meaning they're ran as Agile Scrum projects. And the SIP projects, which are what the students do individually, those are taught at a, a Agile Scrum too. So they have to do stand-ups every class period, and and then they and then they they have to you know do demos and and the whole nine yards. So it's pretty standard. It it does it, it's a lot of fun, and to be honest with you. The SIPs and the and the studios are the reason <clears throat> reason why I'm here. I, I love coming in and working with someone to get something to fruition, to try to get a project past the finish line, and and actually work work in the beginning on the molding because because not only you know that they have to come up with a project. But that project has to pass muster, meaning it has to be innovative. It has to have something that that we don't have right now. If it has, if it's just a repeat of something else, it won't work, and, and they have to come up with a new project. It has to be something that that's innovative, and then and then they have, I think it's three semesters to work on it. So do they have to? Um, so if they come up with an idea, is there like a a board or? Do they have to mm -hmm. give a presentation in front of their peers of like, this is what I'm going to do? Yes, actually, uh, twice a semester, they, they they give a presentation in front of the the people in, in charge of their group. Like 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 for me, I'm, I'm in the the uh, the the advancing computer science. So the ACS robotics and digital fabrication group. So if anyone has an ACS, uh, a robotics or a digital fabrication project, I'm I'm on the committee to to oversee it, 
So I, so I, so we, we do demos twice a semester where, where they have to come in and, and, and well, the, the, for the first semester, the first meeting isn't really a demo. It's more of a, this is what I'd like to do in the project. And then we, we, we make changes and things like that and get them down the right path. And then we go from there, but, but it's a lot of fun. Like I, I talked to one student and I, I, I'm, I'm able to talk about his project um, in, in Arizona. We have um, scorpions are a problem. Um, they they just scorpions are part of the environment. There's some areas that have scorpions and some areas that don't. Um, so one of the students, uh, he he grew up in in a scorpion area. Um, so what happens is scorpions are in their house. It sounds like know? a tough tough neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, actually, I'm imagining a biker gang. <laughs> yeah, the exactly. Scorpions. The scorpions. Well, and it's one of those things where they say that if the scorpions were there, you know, scorpions don't move. So, so if you build a house, if it's a scorpion area, you're going to have scorpions. If it's not a scorpion area, you won't have scorpions. And I guess they like that. They say they like foothills and things like that. So they like not in the mountains, but but on the edge of the mountains. So uh, they're named after areas of people, you know, foothills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We walk say, around. Yep, yep. So, so <laughs> what what he's doing is he's creating a um, mobile autonomous robot that uses a black light and looks for the scorpions because scorpions blow glow under black light under, under UV light. We don't know why, but they but they give off. They they take the UV light and they convert it to like usually it's a yellow or an orange glow. So these things. When you've got a black light, these things just sparkle. So what he's going to do is he's going to create a mobile robot with a black light, and it's going to search for scorpions. And when it finds a scorpion, it's going to be like a bulldozer on front. It's going to scoop it up. It's going to toss it onto a glue trap in the back. <laughs> so, <laughs> absolutely. That's great. And, uh, and the thing about it, scorpions aren't like super fast because they don't have to. They've got a they've got a stinger, so so they don't have to run away. So it's it's just a good. You just come up, you take it, you pitch it in the back, and then and then what what we'll probably do is we'll have it. You know, I talked to him about having it send a text each time it catches a scorpion, so that the 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 owners can find out how how many scorpions it caught, and if it gets too many scorpions, then it'll warn you. Hey, you got to clear the trap. Yeah, on the first night, it, you wake up in the morning and you got three hundred unread messages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just says body count three hundred. Exactly. You have a lot of fun with that. So, I mean, that's a that's just one of the projects. And and that was entirely generated from the student. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was what what happened is. He, you know, the, the first, it was kind of funny, actually, you might find this humorous. He was trying to, his first, his first go at a project was trying to come up with a, a better pool cleaner. So like the tiger shark that you ran into. He was, I would back that project. <laughs> so he was, he was going to make up like a better pool cleaner. And I was like, yeah. But, you know, it, it wasn't anything like super innovative. You know, it's kind of tough. You're dealing with water. And I didn't know if you, you know, he, he didn't he didn't really come up with anything like super new about it. I think he just wanted a pool cleaner and he didn't want to pay a thousand bucks for it. <laughs> that sounds so, like, that's like the, the kind of projects that Parker and I come up with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so so he so so I'm like you know afterwards he, you know we 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 denied the uh, the the tiger shark project and I was like you know um, come up with five things that are a pain in the tail you know come up with five things that you hate to do or that bug you or whatever and and he went home and he's like my mom is always complaining about scorpions I, she hates having the scorpions around I'm like okay well let's figure out a way to get it and and you know he he came up with a mode of action and 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 then he he presented it and like for me when i was when when he was doing it i, I had imagined instead of a glue trap i had imagined having like turning barrels with spikes in it you know uh, something the, like the scorpion shredder yes he has a scorpion <laughs> shredder i had a vision envisioned that <clears throat> but uh but but coming up with with the other you know the other professors one of them said just just put a glue trap just trap them with glue and then get a you know because they sell scorpion glue traps but the scorpions never run over it so um so so he's like just, just do a glue trap and and have an indicator for when it gets too full and you're good to go <laughs> too full of scorpions <laughs> yeah, absolutely it's crazy Oh, that's that's fantastic. So, do the, do the students have to create project documentation for all of this? Like, do they have to present that and like their design documentation throughout the whole process? Uh, the, well, for us, for the demos, they don't have to. They, they don't have to present like like we don't have to come up with a you know coming from the pharmaceutical world. I you know medical device requirements and things you you have to do lab notebooks and all that and you have to keep track of it. Now now I I I try to tell them hey you've got to keep a lab notebook and anytime you you want to use a calculator have a lab notebook there and write it down or anytime you you need to do something or you want to think of something write it in a lab notebook. So we push it but but we don't actually oversee it. Um uh, so it's nice to have now now for me I'm kind of I'm you know, I, I just started in uh, in May, so so I've been here what uh, like like about six months, five six months, and and they didn't have a full time robotics before me, so so I'm on board. You know, the other guys were all uh, computer science guys, so I'm I'm coming on and I'm like, hey, where's what where's the circuit diagram? What's going on? Where's your block diagram? You don't have any of this stuff. So, so we're kind of, you know, I'm trying to make a little more, a little more of the engineering practices that you guys do to kind of get them ready for the real world. Um, so we're trying to do that. That that's our main focus. So they, so they don't have it now, but it's coming. It's, it's definitely coming. And, uh, and the other thing we have, a we actually have a UAT space program where we use, uh, balloons, uh, uh helium balloons to lift payloads, uh, up to a hundred thousand feet. So we we've actually had six balloons that have gone up to a hundred thousand feet and and done some preliminary uh, scientific calculations and then came down. See if scorpions can live that high. <laughs> yeah, we should do that. Well, you know, you're not you're not supposed to do that to live things. They don't they don't like the live. They frown payload. upon it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not it's not good to do that. But I don't know if scorpions really count or not. Yeah, it's like but you just be like but scorpions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Scorpions and, and mosquitoes. Both both of them yes. can go up. I'm sure there's no problem with that. Yeah. Um, so the performance studio projects, which are the group projects. So how do those kind of work? 
now it's the same thing where, where we have a where we have a, a sprint where they where every Friday start of the day they do they uh, they, they, they they do a stand up and then at the end of the day they they, they do another stand up so we get that full day and then we get the week they're they're supposed to spend like uh, I think it's sixteen hours total a week on the project so they spend eight hours during the day on Friday, and then they spend eight hours sometime during the week working on the project. Now, the way the project happens, it comes a lot from the, it, the performance studio is, is actually from a game, a game design standpoint. You know, we started as a game design in CAD school back in the 80s, and they did this performance studio where, where what happens is, is, you, is you come up with an idea for a game, and then you then then you try to sell it to get more students to come on board to build that game. So so we we kind of do the same thing where that first day we come up with projects either their previous semester's projects or their new projects. And then and then once once we decide okay who's going to go on what projects and some projects don't don't have anyone and they die on the vine, but other projects they you know they build the project and they go from there. Um, for for my performance studio, I'm I'm working with the uh, with the uh, um, the computer science one. Um, we have two projects, two performance studio projects. One of them is a, a, a spider bot. What they did is they is they downloaded a 3D printed mobile spider platform. So it has only has six legs instead of eight, but it's a mobile platform that has motors and you can run around the floor. And then for the brains, um, the mama spider bot, the main spider bot, she has a Raspberry Pi in her head, and then she has a camera. And then the and then they have two minion uh, baby spider bots, and those have ra Raspberry Pi zeros as their brains. And what spider bot's goal is is to use the camera to identify a person, you know, with, with AI. They're going to use AI and a camera to identify a person and then indicate what, whether that person is a friend or a foe. And if it's a foe, they're going to charge the baby spider bots at it. And if it's a friend, then they're just going to keep doing what what, what they're doing. That so that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know, it's kind of interesting. And then the second project is kind of an old school project where they want to make ASCII D&D. &D. So they have a Dungeons and Dragons game, but with ASCII art, completely ASCII art. Like I is this like one. procedurally generated or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're gonna they're they're using a modern game engine, but the uh, but the UI is all ASCII art based. So it's <laughs> it's it's painting with at signs and 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 whatever other stuff to to when you <laughs> uh, unreal ASCII. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's. In fact, I I I think we might be using the Unreal Engine. I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I think it might be. But yeah, yeah, that with with an ascii ui so it's it's kind of an old school meets new school setup it seems like your students get a uh, a pretty wide variety of things thrown at them or a, a wide variety of um things asked of them mm -hmm. absolutely we we it's like i said it's a very project driven curriculum so and really we want when you have a project driven curriculum the students have to love the projects if they don't love it it's not going to work so and the only way to get them to really love the projects is if they take ownership of them 
So a lot of the stuff is pretty much student-led, student-driven. And really, as a professor, my goal is just to make life e easy for them or, or possible. I guess it's not really easy, but to make it possible for them to succeed. So, but yeah, it, 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 it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a great time. So uh, what, what are some of the other projects that uh, you have going on? Oh, well, we have, um, uh, what is it? The, with the space program, they're working on a new recovery vehicle. Um, instead of having a, a parachute, they want to make a paraglider so they can kind of steer it. When, you, know, you, you get it up to, uh, to 100,000 feet and you do whatever you're going to do and then you release your payload. You, you drop it. And instead of doing a parachute where because you're at 100,000 feet, it could be 60 miles downrange. You know, you don't know where it is. Um, one, one thing they want to do is they're building a parafoil so they can kind of steer it so it'll fly back or at least in an area where, where, where it's land, easier. They'll land yeah. on public land instead of like some old man's backyard yeah, who's except, got your baseball. Yeah, well, <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know, the thing about it is here in Arizona, we have a lot of public land. You know, there's a – if. It, if you go down south of town, you can have 60, 80, 100 miles with no one there. So it's, it's you know, you, you've got, you, you're, you're pretty well safe, safe with that stuff. But, but it's finding it. And in fact, we had our last one, it actually went down and we didn't know where it was at because when it came down, it flipped over. So it was on the antenna. So it was transmitting into the ground instead of in, into the world. So we didn't know. We we knew where it was at as it was coming down, but we only had like a like a two or three mile square section where, where we knew it was within this two or three miles, but we couldn't find it. Um, so a couple like forty five days later, I think it was forty two days later, we had a storm. We have the monsoon storms in the summer where we get a lot of rainfall. Well, not a lot, but but a lot for us. We, we had a monsoon storm and actually blew the, the payload over to the correct position. So 40, 42 days later, it started transmitting and we got the signal and we were able to recover it. I'm but, surprised uh, it still was active that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was student design. They were they were they were sipping on the uh, sipping on the battery, not 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 taking big gulps. I, I was kind of hoping that story would go like the 50s era Roswell where you can find <laughs> your your balloon and end up in like on the news headlines. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was a UFO, absolutely. So, but yeah, it, so so we've got the space project. You know, I, every student, like I said, every student here before they graduate, they have to do a, a SIP project. They have to do a student innovation project. They have to do performance studios. So we have performance studio projects. Um, yeah, yeah, I was. What, what was going um in fact i had a sip yesterday and the sip yesterday what was his i mean there, there, there's so many of them um i'm trying to i'm trying to remember yeah it, it it'll come to me as soon as we finish i'm, I'm sure i'll remember it well you know <laughs> one thing i'm interested in <clears throat> in a in a I, I guess you could say more traditional 
degree, there's such a focus on the fundamentals. You take physics one before you take physics two, and then yeah. you take physics infinity and blah, blah, blah. You yeah. go down the line. Uh, do, but do your students have to go through a you know the first two years of learning the fundamentals of how the world is before they even start touching stuff? Well, you know, that's the big thing is that we we try to get them in early. I mean, they, they still have to do some fundamental stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But but we try to mix in some good stuff early. We, you know, we, we try to get, you know, like the, you know, trying to get the electronics and things like that. We, we try to make it make it a little fun and, and they can get involved in like the space project, you know, that they have a class for the space project and we have. We have freshmen who are in our space program who are who are working on the space program and 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 we're and we're making PCBs. You know, we have a custom P, PCB that we made for our space program, and we're designing another PCB for the for round two. Um, so so it's 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 trying to get that mix, um, the mix of the uh, of the good stuff with the with the stuff that you have to do. Cool. Do you think? Stephen MacFab will send me back to school. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you would do the exact same projects you're already doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah except that, that it would be my job now. Yeah, you could yeah. Get a, you could get a <laughs> master's in it. <laughs> yeah. And that and that's the funny thing is is you know for me I I come and I uh, and we have another a computer science professor Tony I come and sit I, I sit with Tony and I'm like. This stuff is great. I, I was doing this stuff for free on weekends, and now I'm getting paid for it. This is fantastic. That's super cool. So, but yeah, it's it's fun. So, uh, thank you so much, Matt, for coming onto our podcast and talking about your research and your robotics classes that you've been doing. Absolutely glad glad to be here, and I just like to say that. That was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I was your guest, Matt Prater. And we're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Thank you, everyone. Take it easy. Thanks. You know, and also before we sign off, is I do want an update on how well the Scorpion Roomba performs. Yeah, absolutely. We'll well, I'll, I'll get them to put it on the web for you too. So we'll we'll awesome. get a web link for it. Absolutely. I I think it needs to have like a, a picture of the rock's face on it. Wasn't the rock like a scorpion <laughs> in a movie? The scorpion king. Yeah, it needs to have the rock face. On it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that would be fun. Oh man. Okay, rabbit hole is. <laughs> Is you can do augmented reality and then you have a marker on it, so you put your phone over it and you can do a really crappy CG Scorpion <laughs> King on it, just like in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it would be the same quality as a movie, too. Probably. Exactly, it'd be perfect. These are, these are stretch goals, right? <laughs> yeah, but I'll. I'll I'll be sure to bring that up because, yeah, because that'll and, – and actually because because we do have a lot of VR and AR here as well, especially with the game design stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Matt. We, we appreciate you coming on. That was great. Thank you. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steve and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. 
Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest episode when we release it. And please review us wherever you listen, as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.